I want you, if you would, to open in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 18. And I'll be honest with you, the message I'm preaching today, uh, about two weeks ago when I was praying, I thought this, this would be the message that it preached last week, and the Lord gave me that for last week, and then uh, it finished giving me this one for this week. So this is what I thought we were going to have last week. And uh, it's almost like a continuation of of what we ministered and what we talked about last week. Okay, so if you remember, we talked about Micaiah the prophet, remember? And, and Hezekiah, I mean, I'm sorry, Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah and Ahab was the king of, of, uh, Jerusalem, of Israel. And he was a wicked king. And we, we started down that road and talked about it. And I want you, if you would, to open your Bible to Deuteronomy, it's Old Testament, and then we're going to go from there immediately to John chapter 1. So we look at Deuteronomy 18, 13 through 15, and then John chapter 1. So I'm just, just going to begin reading this right now. Deuteronomy 18, 13. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. For these nations which thou shalt possess hearkened unto observers of times and unto diviners, but as for thee, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee to do so. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet. Does yours have a capital P right there for that word prophet? Okay. This is significant. Unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee and of thy brethren like unto me, unto him shall you hearken. Now that's a wonderful scripture, and you might have read through Deuteronomy many times. You just it's Old Old Testament Levitical law type of stuff, and yes, it's important. But you know, but I want to get to the Gospels, you know, or something like that. That is a promise right there. That prophet, the Lord's going to raise up unto you a prophet, and every Bible scholar believes it. I mean, teaches it. I believe it. I think it's clear in the scriptures that is speaking about Jesus Christ. There were a lot of prophets that came and went. Moses was a prophet, okay? There were prophets that came and went. But this was a promise way back there, maybe 2,500 years before Jesus came of His coming. Now I want you to turn with me to your Bibles to John chapter 1. The Gospel of John chapter 1. Now this is speaking about John the Baptist. When he was... Uh, of course, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And he's baptizing people at the Jordan River. The crowds are coming out there. They're coming out there because the Lord drew them out there. There's no other explanation for a bunch of people to go out in the middle of the wilderness by a creek or a little, uh, not even the most beautiful river in the world, into the wilderness. And people are coming from Samaria. They're coming from all these lands around. They're drawn out to the wilderness to hear John the Baptist preach. He's preaching about the first coming of Christ who's literally on the doorstep, Okay. He has an important ministry. Well, the Pharisees come and they're, they're blinded in unbelief. They know the Scriptures, but their heart's hard in unbelief. Okay, so they don't get it. They don't like it. They don't approve of what John's saying. They're not going to approve of Jesus as a whole. Okay, the, 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 the Jews of His day. Let's pick up in, verse, in John chapter 1, verse 19. And this is the record of John. It's John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? So the Jews sent some messengers out there, some Levites, and say, Who are you, John? A bunch of people are out here. You're baptizing people in the water like you have some kind of authority. Uh, you're preaching this message. Who are you? And he confessed and denied not. 
but confessed, I am not the Christ. So he made that very clear. It's not me. He wasn't under delusions and he didn't try to bring confusion himself. He says, I'm not the Christ. And they ask him, what then? Art thou Elijah? Because the prophets had said that the Lord was going to send Elijah before the, the coming of the Lord. And uh, that was John the Baptist in a, in a spiritual sense. He was Elijah in that sense. And he saith, I am not. Art thou that, that prophet? Do you see that? Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. Speaking about that prophet from, that we mentioned, that was mentioned in Deuteronomy 18. He said unto them, uh, he said no. Okay, he answered no. And they said unto him, Who art thou that we may give answer to him, to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. He's saying I'm a fulfillment of that one that was promised in Isaiah's prophecy about the first coming of the Lord. Now, I want to talk about this this morning, that the Lord promised His prophet. Okay, we know in Genesis when, the, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Okay, the first sin of man, our earthly ancestors, right? And they introduced sin into the world and it's passed down to all men. We're all children of Adam and sinners by our nature. That God promised a Redeemer in Genesis 3 that would crush the serpent's head with His heel. Okay? So, and then we get to Deuteronomy 18. And I'm sure there's other places as well. But in Deuteronomy 18 where we read that the Lord promised that prophet. He had His man. He had His Savior for the world. And He provided that prophet through His Son Jesus Christ at His first coming. The Bible says He's going to come again. Amen? This, but at His first coming. But second coming says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto him that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He's coming again. The same Christ that went. The same Christ that was promised in the Old Testament. And that prophet that He promised. And so the Lord fulfilled that promise through the first coming of Jesus, His only Son. He was not just another prophet. He was that prophet. Okay, thank God for all the prophets that came and went. There were men of God that the Lord sent. There were women prophetesses as well. But he says that prophet's going to come. And he says you're going to do everything he says. And he says unto him shalt thou hearken. Shall, shall you hearken? He said in Deuteronomy 18. You're going to listen to him. Amen. That's the one I want you to listen to. So when Jesus comes and John the Baptist is on the scene, John says it's not me. I'm not that prophet. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the, the, uh, the path in the, in the way of the Lord. And so he says, I'm not that one. And then a few, maybe the next day it says that John looks up and saw Jesus coming to his baptism to the Jordan River. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the one. And John even begins to tell his disciples because he had disciples himself. And his disciple was just a learner or a follower. They didn't worship John, but they were under his ministry. And John basically like turns them over to the Lord in a process of time. And he says, I must decrease and he must increase. He knew he wasn't that prophet. He was the prophet that Isaiah prophesied about. He knew his responsibility, his calling on this earth. But Jesus is the one where the Lord says, I'm going to send my prophet. You're going to do, he's going to do all my will. 
And you're going to hearken to Him. That's who I want you to hearken to. And I'll just give this. At the, at the baptism, in Mark 1, where Jesus was baptized, He allowed Himself, He suffered Himself to, to be uh, baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness. It was just part of God's plan. It was the way that God, or the order, God's a God of order. And the prophecies are fulfilled. And Jesus came fulfilling prophecies and righteousness and the order. And, and after He was baptized and came up out of the water, there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And there's at least three accounts in the Bible and the Gospels of the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Where Jesus takes James and John, uh, Peter, James, and John up onto the mountain. The other disciples and the people are down below. And they're privately up there with the Lord. And it says, There appeared unto them Moses and Elijah with Jesus. And they're talking. I'd love to know what they're talking about. But we know some of it because it says Jesus was talking about how He would go to Jerusalem and die. That's one of the things He was talking about. And so Peter's like, wow, this is great. This, this is awesome. Moses and Elijah. And he says, I, we're going to make three little pillars or memorials or statues. One for you, Jesus. One for Moses and Elijah. Well, God the Father took care of that. There was a cloud that overshadowed them. A thick cloud. And a voice out of the cloud that says, this is my beloved. This is my son, my beloved son. Hear him. And then the cloud rose, and they saw no man but Jesus only. I think the Lord's trying to make His point. That prophet, this is him. Thank God for other prophets and preachers and ministers and godly people and men and women of prayer and intercessors and all the people that God's used through the years and the biblical uh, characters and lives that we have that He sent. But He was speaking of His Son. That prophet is Jesus Christ. And in the Roman soldier at the foot of the cross when Jesus gave up the ghost, He said, Father, into Thy hands I commend My Spirit. Commit My Spirit. He prayed and He died. It was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And there was darkness that covered the land, the Bible said. It was an unusual thing. It was supernatural. The temple veil was ripped from top to bottom about a 2-inch or 3-inch thick curtain. It was ripped from the top to the bottom. Uh, the graves of many of the saints that says that this is puzzling to me, I don't understand it all, but the graves of many of the saints were open and they came alive and they got out of their graves and they went to Jerusalem and showed themselves to people alive. This is when Jesus was giving up the ghost. And the, there's earthquakes and the rocks are being rent and crumbled. And the, the Roman soldier says, truly, this was the Son of God. Now that wasn't said about Jeremiah or Elijah or Elisha or Isaiah Wonderful men of God used by the Lord. Holy men of God. Okay, But this was spoken about Jesus. This is the one that, that we're to hearken to. Now God has sent His prophets down through the years. Okay, He sent His prophets to, to bring His Word to people. To represent Him. I just want to read this. You don't have to turn there. But if I'm reading from Jeremiah 7.25 when the Lord is dealing with sinful Israel and Judah... He says, since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt, unto this day I have even sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they hearken not unto me, the, the, the Israelites hearken not unto me, nor incline their ear, but harden their neck. They did worse than their fathers. The only reason I read that is I want to say that God has raised up His prophets to be His servants. They're a blessing. They're a help. 
God sent His Almighty God spent, sent His prophets. He spoke to His prophets and He spoke through His prophets. Okay? And He gave and sent them to speak on His behalf to men. This is not complicated. God had people that knew the Lord. That walked with the Lord. They weren't just people that had no clue what was going on. They're people that walked with the Lord. The Bible says the Scriptures were written by holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Holy men of God. So they were already men of God. They knew God and walked with the Lord. And the Lord used them as the conduit to write the Scriptures that we have before us. Okay? And so, it wasn't just a bunch of theologians or something like that. It's people that personally knew God and were holy in their walk with the Lord. And God chose them. And He selected them. Okay? And He spoke through those prophets and sent them to represent Him to men. The perfect representative was Jesus Christ. Okay? In Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I mean, you can't get a more perfect representation than God Himself in the flesh. And that's who and what Jesus was and is. Okay? But He sent these other prophets and he wanted, his, his desire was to speak to men, to turn men back to Himself when they were gone astray, to reveal Himself to men, to, to make straight the path of the Lord and make you know every crooked place made straight. John the Baptist fulfilled that. These other prophets fulfilled that. His desire was to speak to turn men back to Himself. Okay? So He wrote, sent His prophets. And He says they hardened their hearts even more. They didn't receive them. Most of them they killed. Jesus says that in Matthew 23. Which of the prophets didn't you, you kill? All that were sent to you. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, now that kill, stone us the prophets, kill us those that are sent to you. How often I would have gathered you together like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you would not. But He sent His prophets from righteous Abel who was killed to Zacharias who you slew between the altar and the temple. You know, He says you killed all these prophets that were sent to you and yet they were sent to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers and to turn men to God. Micaiah, who we looked at last week, was one of these prophets. Okay, He was one of these prophets. Remember our sermon. Uh, in the midst of all the false prophets, God still had His man. In the midst of all the false, God had His man, and His man knew the Lord. His man knew Him and spoke on His behalf and did His will. He had somebody to actually speak the truth. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. Because it's not a popularity contest. It's the truth is the truth, no matter if it's popular or unpopular. Amen. I say it all the time, so you probably get sick of me hearing it. It doesn't matter in one sense, just in the sense of truth being truth. It doesn't matter if everybody on the planet believed the Bible and believed Jesus Christ as the Son of God in the Gospel story and believed the Bible cover to cover, or if nobody believed it. The truth is still the truth Thank and you. it stands alone. It doesn't need people to prop it up, it doesn't need an election or a council to vote. Jesus Christ is a, a, the supreme authority. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And His Word is the truth. And He's going to bring it to pass as He has said. When you read in Revelation, it's going to take place. Guess what? It's going to take place. No government's going to stop it. No military's going to stop it. No uh, change in culture or anything like that's going to stop it. No, Antichrist is going to stop it. Not the devil and all his demons are going to stop it. It's going to come to pass. So in that sense, it doesn't matter if everybody believes it or nobody believes it. 
it does matter for that person if they believe it or not. Amen? It's everything if we believe or don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Micaiah, in the midst of all the false prophets in Ahab's day, uh, was somebody that really knew the Lord. He walked with the Lord. And God called him and used him. And the 400 false prophets, okay? And here's Micaiah, and he says, no, I saw the Lord sitting on His throne. And I saw the whole host of heaven on His right hand and on His left. Let me tell you what the Lord of heaven said. I saw Him. And it's just like, it just silences. They still want to kill Him. They still want to throw Him in prison. But God has His man to speak the truth. And the truth is a wonderful thing. I thank God for the truth. Because God will vindicate and God will make clear. And God will make apparent. He does it through His Word. He does it in, in reality in our lives as well. He's going to do it. And even Ahab had to co- confess. After the 400 false prophets were out there doing their deal and prophesying falsely and it all, all in agreement with one another, but false nonetheless. And Jehoshaphat, who was a man of God, says, isn't there somebody here that we can really inquire of the Lord? Is there somebody that really knows God that we can talk to? Well, there's yet one man. And that was our message last week. There's yet one man. God has His man. I believe in every age He has His man. Sometimes more than, than one. Okay, But He has His people. And they're not the most popular. And they're not the most plentiful. And they're not the most popular even in the religious circles. Or even within the quote church of our day. I don't think they're the most popular. But God has His man that knows Him. Who sees the Lord who hears from God and God says, go. And they go on His behalf. And they take the heat that comes with it. And they take the persecution that comes with it. And I thank the Lord He's got that. And then He had His man, the man of all men, Jesus Christ, in the flesh that came that we spoke of. And the, the Lord said in Deuteronomy 18, unto Him shall you hearken. Now this whole idea, I'm going to get into really the, the point of the message today. This whole idea of prophets and prophecies and prophesying is very important in the Bible. It's very important to the Lord. And it should be very important to, to us as the people of God. Because it's, it's how He deals. He sends His prophets to deal with men. He's God in heaven. Okay, Now we know He's omnipresent. But in some way to communicate His will, His heart, Himself, His holiness... His plans to men. He's given us the Bible, okay? But He's given the prophets. And the prophets would come in the different eras and different ages. And it was always important. Jonah, you know, the minor prophets, they're not really minor. They were sent for the purpose of the Lord. Even if it was that one message. You could say John the Baptist was minor. You know, he had one little uh, season of ministry out by the Jordan River. But the Lord says of all those that were born of women, there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Okay? The prophets and the prophesying and the prophecies are important to the Lord. And it ought to be important to us because it was the way that God would reveal Himself and His will to men. And much of what is spoken and written and preached through the history and in our day as well proclaims to be in the name of the Lord, it claims to be in the name of the Lord, and is not of the Lord. Y'all, re- y'all know that. A lot of what's spoken, spoken in the name of Jesus, or in the name of God, is not in fact. We looked at it again last week with, with Micaiah and those 400 prophets. Um, there are many voices 
There are many influences. It really boils down to what influences are there in life. There's the truth. There's the Lord Jesus Christ. His Word is forever settled in heaven. Okay? And it's by itself. Just sounding out. Unchanged, undaunted, undiminished by anything around it. It's eternal. And it's sounding out to men. It's not changed. It's like a beacon. It just, you know, like a, a, a lighthouse on a, on a co- rocky coastline. It's just bing, bing, bing. You know, all ages, all anything. It's just there proclaiming. It's settled in heaven. Okay? And then you have false voices and false influences rising up. I can lie to myself. Randy Courier, I might be a false influence. I can convince myself of something because I want it and convince myself it's right and just, and it's not. Well, that's false, okay? What's going to bring me back in line? The truth, okay? That's what I have to bounce it off of. That's the standard that I have to come back to that's that's unchanging. You know, let's say you're you're a builder and you're going to make a a bunch of uh, planks, you know, and we'll make them all the same length. So you cut one, and then you use that as a pattern. You use that one and cut it again and cut it again. You could get off down the road. You builders know what I'm talking about. You better go back to that ruler, that measuring tape, after about the third or fourth or fifth one to make sure you're right back to the standard. You know, the standard is the measuring tape, all right, not the board that I just cut. And so uh, there's other influences. There are other voices. I can lie. I'm not the truth. I'm happy to be in the truth like that song we sing. I'm happy to be in the truth. Okay, I'm daily lift my hands and walk with the Lord. But then there's a Satan, there's a spirit of Antichrist as well. And he wants to get in there. He wants to weasel his way in. And one of the most uh, successful ways he does it is by claiming to represent the truth. This is of God. This is of God. And if we don't measure what whoever's saying, this is of God by the standard, which is Christ Himself and His Word that is unchanging then we can get off. But the Lord has given us that. Amen? I want you to just think for a second um, what the Lord has given us. What has God given us to protect us from deception? If somebody's saying this is of God, a prophet, you know that they're false prophets, right? Okay? It's not just a Bible thing. It's, it's ongoing. We don't live in fear. We don't hide... Like I said, hide in the shadows and fret and never get out of our bed, never open our Bibles, never listen to a sermon because we're afraid it's gonna, we're going to be deceived. That's not what God's called us to do. He's given us our weapons. He's given us our defense. And He expects us, now that He's given them to us, to appropriate those things. In other words, use them. I'm going to send Eric out to the woods and say, Eric, go, uh, we'll say we're lost out in the woods. Eric, go, I need you to go get us some food, man. They've still got some deer up there. Here's a rifle with some shells and a scope. You know, and, and, and he's, you would expect Eric to go out there and do it. In other words, take what you've, you're given and the skills and abilities and the weapon you have and use it. We have to use those weapons. They don't do any good sitting on the shelf. You go hungry and starve to death watching Bambi and all the deer play around and you could get some, some food, okay? And so God has given us, what has He given us? He's given us His First of all, Jesus, okay? But specifically the Holy Ghost in us. It's Christ in you, the hope of, of glory. The Bible calls Him the Spirit of truth. I just want to read this. Howbeit when He, Jesus said to His disciples, the Spirit of truth, that's the Holy Ghost, third person of the Trinity, is come. He will guide you into all truth. No lies, no partly lies, no some of the truth. He Himself, the person, 
of the Holy Ghost, if we want to call him a person, the third person of the Trinity, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. He will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. The Holy Ghost is always glorifying Jesus Christ. He's not glorifying a man, a church, a denomination, anything else. He's glorifying Jesus Christ. For He shall receive of Mine and shall show it unto you. So we have Jesus and the Holy Ghost really together there. And the Father is the one who sends the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. So God has given us the Spirit of Truth and He's given us His unchanging Word. We did like a seven-week series on the ministry of the Word. Okay, He's given us that. Now I, you and I have to appropriate that. I need to study to show myself approved. I need to, man should not live by every, every, a bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I have to take the Word of God in prayer to the Lord. Lord, teach me, show me, help me. So we're dependent upon God. We have the Holy Ghost in us. We walk into a situation. We hear a song. We hear a sermon. Um, and it's not, that again, that we're living in suspicion. We're not doubtful right off the bat. But at the same time, we have, we're wise. And our ears are attentive, okay? We've got our little radar up. And we've been in the Word of God. And we've been in prayer. And we're walking close to Jesus. And I do hear the voice of my Good Shepherd who's leading me. So I'm not just blindly going through life groping at things. Hope, groping and hoping. I'm hearing from the Lord. I'm with Him. Mike Micaiah said, I saw the Lord sitting on His throne and the host of heaven on His right hand and left. He was with God. God spoke to him. He wasn't confused about who talked to him. This is God speaking to me. He has sent me to do something. And he went, he wasn't confused or deceived. And so God has given us what we need. Beloved, believe not every spirit. I know I say it all the time. I said it last week. 1 John 4 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they be of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so he's telling us to test them. He doesn't say be scared. Because that same chapter, he says, greater seed that's in us than he that's in the world. He's saying, test the spirits, though. It's not ungodly. It's not unloving. It's not unchristian. It's very Christian to test the spirits. Test the spirits of what I say, please. Test the spirits of what was said in Sunday school and what's going to be said at the prayer meeting tonight and something you look up on the internet and somebody's blog you read and somebody's this or that or even Christian music. Please especially test Christian music. Test it all. Test the spirits and see whether or not it's of God. And so we have the spirit of truth. We have the word of truth. We have um, the, the Lord in us. It's like a life jacket. Okay? As you're, you're out in the middle of the ocean, the life jacket is given to preserve your life. Another name is a life preserver, right? But it's not going to do me any good if I watch it float away and say, I don't feel like putting that thing on. Put it on. It's given for a purpose. It's, you know, recommended by the Coast Guard. It's approved. It's, it's the way it's supposed to be. It can maintain this many pounds for this many hour, hours. It's for, it'll work. Trust it. Put it on. Okay? The Lord's able to keep us as well. Through His Word, by His Spirit. We don't have to panic, but use what He's given you. And even ask Him to help you. God, help me. Help me to understand Your Word. Help me to pray like I should. Fill me with the fresh new feeling of Your Spirit. I feel empty and dry. I feel like I haven't heard Your voice in a long time and I need to. You think God's going to turn you away and say no? 
when he's, he's the one that loves us and sent his Savior, his Son to die for us, and he wants to keep us from error, don't you think he's going to help keep you from error if you'll ask him? But he, you appropriate what he's given you. Use it. It's a, it's a blessing. And so I'm going to look in this in the Bible. Um, there are two very specific tests. This is what I was going to preach last week, all right? There are two very specific tests in the Old Testament. I think they're interesting. I think they're very helpful as to how do we know if this prophet is of God or if it, is he a, or she a false prophet. There are two tests in the Bible. And when it has nothing to do, y'all, with do I like this person who's prophesying or preaching. See, when I say prophet, we think of prophecy is always foretelling the future. And that's one aspect of prophecy and probably one of the biggest aspects of prophecy. Prophecy is also um, that, like that, that living word. You're speaking in the behalf of the Lord. Maybe about something that's ongoing now. It's not always something in distant future. Okay? It says in Revelation, the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. And so it's that quickening word of God as well. So it has nothing to do with whether you like the messenger. We might not have loved John the Baptist's personality. I don't know. It has nothing to do with that. Is he a man of God or a prophet of God? Okay? It has nothing to do with I like this person. Uh, it has everything to do with thus saith the Lord in the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of truth. And remember, Satan has an agenda too. So if he can appeal to you through something false, through someone you like, then that would be very effective, right? I like this person. And so I want to listen to them. I'm more inclined to believe what they have to say. Again, we're not suspicious of everything, but we're not brain dead either. You know, we have the Word of God and we have the Spirit of God to lead us and guide us. I want to look at these two tests real quickly. Um, Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 18. These would be good things to highlight in your Bible or if you're taking notes at some point in your life, you'd want to go back and see this, I believe. It might have been Dave Hunt, the first one that I heard that actually spoke about this, these specific tests. But here's the first one, even before we read it. If the prophet, Deuteronomy 18, if the prophet speaks in God's name, okay, he's using the Lord's name, this is the Lord, this is Jehovah, this is Jesus, this is truth, this is God, uh, he speaks a prophecy and it does not come to pass. Thus saith the Lord, such and such is going to happen, and it does not come to pass. Now that's pretty much a no-brainer, right? Uh, he speaks it, in the name of the Lord, it does not come to pass. Look at this in Deuteronomy 18, verse 20. But the prophet, and that's not the capital P here, this is not speaking about Jesus Christ, but the prophet which shall presume to speak a word, how? In my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord had not spoken. When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord had not spoken. It's almost comical. You know, it's not, but you understand the point. It's so, it's so simple. Okay? 
if they presume to speak in the name of the Lord, and what they say doesn't come to pass, that prophet that's spoken it presumptuously, thou shall not be afraid of him. Okay? In other words, there shouldn't be that reverence that, oh, I sure don't want to criticize him or anything like that. And I sure don't want to follow him and hearken him. You know, people can get intimidated, I guess, maybe by somebody because of their position. And again, remember the 400 prophets in, in, uh, in Micaiah's day. I keep referring to because I try, I try to picture it in my mind. If there's 400 men and there are 400 prophets and they're before two kings, it must have been quite a scene. The two kings are sitting on their thrones. And these 400 men, that's a lot of people. And they're all to the man saying the exact same thing. Thus saith the Lord, blah, blah, blah. Thus saith the Lord, go out and fight. You're going to win. You're going to win. Zedekiah made his two horns of iron. Remember? Had his prop. Thus with these, saith the Lord, you're going to push the Assyrians until you have consumed them. Wow. That's impressive. That sounds spiritual. Don't be afraid of them. They were false prophets. Okay? They were false prophets, but they're all in agreement. Maybe they had chills. Maybe the kings had chills going up in their spine when Zedekiah did this, but it didn't matter. You see what I'm saying? That's not the telltale of is the thing true or is it false. The Word of God and the Spirit of truth in our hearts and, and in, our, in our lives. So there are groups, and it's easy to look at this story as a wonderful story to look at in Micaiah's day and Ahab's day, but in our day. Anybody heard of the Kansas City Prophets? Kansas City Prophets, okay. That's a movement, I guess, what you would say within the church. They're all, they all overlap, okay, with the International House of Prayer and the Mike Bickle and all these groups. And they're this prophetic teaching, this prophetic movement. And they actual, actually will say if uh, they'll, have, they'll raise up prophets, okay. They'll teach them how to prophesy. And if they make a mistake, you don't say anything and criticize them because they're just learning. That's not biblical. That's not biblical. It's not what the Word of God says. The Bible says He raises up His prophets, first of all, and He speaks to them and through them, and there's not going to be a mistake. It's going to be, thus saith the Lord. And so, we see that a false prophecy. Let me give you another example the, uh, the Seventh-day Adventist. I'm not here to blast other religion. My point is I want to give you some real examples. Just plain and simple. It'll stand on its own. I won't have to uh, give a commentary on it. Seventh-day Adventist. In the 1840s, Pastor William Miller of the Seventh-day Adventist prophesied that Jesus Christ would return in 1844. Did Jesus Christ return in 1844? No. So I don't have to mock or make fun or anything like that. But is it safe to say that wasn't a true prophecy? Is it safe to say that's a false prophet who prophesied something false? Jesus Christ is coming back. He preached it from the pulpit. He said it. He wrote in books that Jesus Christ is coming back in 1844. So guess what? He didn't come back in 1844. And the the, the religion, Seventh-day Adventists, tried to cover their tracks and try to fix it. Damage control. Damage control. Because 1844 came and went. Okay? And Christ had not come back. So what do they do? They try to cover it up. And they oh, well, what He meant was 
And this is literally what they wrote in their literature. You can look it up and read it. Okay, 1844, they said what he meant by that was that was the time that Jesus would uh, enter into the Holy of Holies to continue uh, part of our redemption, part of our work of atonement. In 1844, it's just at that time, Christ was going to go into the Holy of Holies for us and to continue a work of atonement for us. Well, that's just like, what? You know, it's just puzzling. It's confusing. But guess what? Some people might swallow that and say, well, okay, I can see that, especially if it's presented in such a spiritual sounding kind of way. Now, we shouldn't swallow it. All right. But some people might swallow that. The point is, that's not true. I don't hate them. I'm not trying. You understand? I'm just pointing out that's a false prophet and a false prophecy. And then we see the spin on the back end of trying to fix it. And it does fix it in a sense because they still have a group of followings that follow that religion. It doesn't fix it in God's eyes. He's just, he's not, it's, that's not true. He's not worried about it. He'll come back when, he's come, when he comes back. He's coming back on the, uh, the Battle of Armageddon and on a white horse and all the saints of God are going to be following him. His feet are going to touch down on the Mount of Olives and it's going to split in two. And he's going to start his millennial kingdom at that time, at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. That's still future. didn't happen yet. I know that from the Bible, okay? From the Word of God, not from one individual prophet who told me that. And so this is our safety. So that's if, if a prophet prophesies in the name of the Lord and the thing does not come to pass, that is the thing which I have not spoken. That's a false prophet. The Lord said in Deuteronomy, he sh sh shall not live, and, and uh, you don't need to be afraid of him. The second one is a little more tricky, or to me it's a little more interesting. It's one where you really have to, to, to lay hold on it a little bit more. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 13. Again, this is good. Take notes or highlight this in your Bible. At some point you're going to want to say, where were those two tests of a false prophet? Deuteronomy 13, let's read 1 through 5. If there arise among you a prophet, he doesn't call him false right off the bat, a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder. They're given a sign or a wonder. And the sign or the wonder come to pass, wow, comes to pass where he spake unto thee. But listen what he says, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments. Remember that prophet, that prophet with the capital P? Unto Him shall you hearken. He's restating it here. And fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. And you shall serve Him and cleave unto Him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. This false one. Because, listen, why? Because He has spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt and to redeemed you out of the house of bondage and to thrust you out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in. So shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. So here's the second test. The prophet does prophesy something and it does come to pass. Wow, that certainly must be a man of God then, right? He says, no, but, but this prophet has a, an agenda. This prophet, like our adversary, the devil, okay, has an agenda. 
He has spoken for the purpose to turn you away from the Lord. To turn you away from the commandments of God. To get you literally to, to walk away from the Lord onto other gods and away from the Lord and to serve other gods. You would think, you know, it's, it's interesting, you would think that the first test would be enough. But you know it's not enough for a lot of people. Like I said, somebody prophesies something, it doesn't come to pass and they continue to follow them. That should be enough. But here's another, they prophesy something and it does come to pass, but they're trying to entice you by their message, ministry, prophecies, and maybe signs and wonders. The Bible says there's lying signs and wonders. They come to pass, but they have an intent, an agenda, to try to get you to follow other gods and to get you away from the Lord and His commandments. Okay? And so, the Bible tells us clearly that there are false Christs. There are false Jesuses. There are false Gospels. Okay? And even and the Lord says that in Matthew 24. We've talked about it in Peter. I mean, Paul says it. And it says in Galatians that uh, I'm, I'm surprised. He says that you're so quickly removed from the Gospel into another Gospel. He goes, so it's really not another Gospel. It's something that would pervert the Gospel and make you think it's, it's the truth. So there are other Christs. There are other Jesuses. Okay? And there are other uh, doctrines and so forth. I want to read this. And, and I don't always do this. But this strange-looking cover, but a wonderful book. It's a Christian book. I'm just letting you look at the cover. It's called A Time of Departing. Uh, I don't know how I came, uh, maybe through Dave Hunt's newsletter, I think, 20 years ago or more, maybe read this book. And it's just as applicable uh, today. If you, if you want to get it, you know, it's one by Ray Young, and he recently died, and went to go be with the Lord, who wrote it. it took his time to research it. I want to give you some examples of this. Not just that the prophet prophesied and it, it didn't come to pass, but those that presume to speak in the name of the Lord whose intent is to bring you somewhere else. That to me is way more effective and, and dangerous. Anybody heard of a book called The, Lo- the Road Less Traveled? It was on the New York Times bestseller list over the, uh, the time of the writing of this book. It was for the last 15 years, and this book's at least 20 years old. Okay. The, the author is Dr. M. Scott Peck. He travels in Christian circles. He travels and speaks in churches. And write, his books are sold in Christian bookstores. Okay? The Road Less Traveled. Sounds interesting. Cool little title. I'd like to find, it, find out about it. He says this in his book. I'm going to give you some quotes from him. There's no distinction between the process of achieving spiritual growth and achieving mental growth. Is that true? No difference between achieving spiritual growth and mental growth. Well, the Bible says well, that's what that's what our standard, right? <coughs> Not measuring off another board, but coming back to the ruler, the measuring tape. The Bible says that the carnal mind is enmity with God; it is not subject to God. The carnal man cannot receive. The, the things of the Spirit of God. Their foolishness to Him, neither can He know them because they're spiritually discerned. But He says mental growth and spiritual growth are synonymous. That's one of His quotes. He goes on to say, uh, what, all right, this author, what does spiritual growth mean to M. Scott Peck? Here's a quote. I have said that the ultimate goal of spiritual growth is for the individual to become one with God. Sounds kind of good, right? Individual to become one with God. He goes on to say, it is for the individual to become totally or wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, God. 
for the individual to become totally or wholly God. So he's not saying that there is no God, right? You wouldn't call this person an atheist. He travels in Christian circles, and this is what he says. He goes on to say that it's an enormous number of people who have a passion. There are an enormous number of people who have a passion for God, but who are fed up to the gills with fundamentalism. When I hear that kind of stuff, I, I know what's coming next. They're trying to lead you to something different. I know there's hypocrites in the church. I know there's dead, dry churches. I know all that. But the truth is still the truth. Okay? I don't have to abandon Christianity for some New Age philosophy because of the hypocrites in the church. Right? And so he said they're fed up. He goes, uh, Peck moved from Eastern mysticism towards what he called Christian mysticism. So he's still using the name Christ and, and Christian in it. He goes on to say this, and he wrote another book called The World Waiting to Be Born. He says this process of emptying the mind, uh, he's talking about contemplative prayer, is, is not that you'll have nothing in your mind, but that, that your mind uh, makes room for something new and unexpected. That sounds wonderful, but if I'm emptying my mind, and they're talking about the Eastern, you can gather from the picture on the top, okay? This guy doing the, the yoga. It's not just stretching. I always say, if you want to stretch, right, Josh? Y'all do, uh, go stretch, right? Stretch till you sweat, until you hurt, and you fall over, all right? Make yourself like a pretzel if you want to. This is not what this is. This is talking about Eastern religion. And he's bringing it into Christianity, saying, empty your mind, say that one word. Your word can be Jesus if you want it to be. Reynolds, use Jesus because you're a Christian. So you go pray and you meditate and you say Jesus over and over, or Bible, or holy, or love, over and over. And it's to introduce, to make room. You're not really emptying your mind for the purpose of having nothing in your mind. You're emptying your mind so that something new and unexpected can come. Guess what new and unexpected will come? If I've departed from the faith, then what am I left with? There are doctrines of devils and seducing spirits. They're real. Okay? I don't live in fear of them, but I'm also not departing from the Lord. I want to keep my eyes on Jesus. And so, this is the type of thing that's done in the name of the Lord. And um, he goes, what is that something new? Is it the voice of God? Peck, Peck also, uh, he goes on to say, he's integrated himself with God. And Jesus' message, according to him, now you tell me if this is in the Bible, but this author says that Jesus' message was to cease clinging to our lesser selves and find our greater selves. I don't see that. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. It had to do with death, it had to do with dying to ourselves. Listen to what Proverbs 18 Lord knows, okay, way back in Proverbs, a fool has no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. That's a fool, okay? He's thinking about himself and discovering himself. Uh, a couple other things. Uh, Jesus was, was someone who shows us a quote. Jesus was someone who shows us how to embrace our own divinity. And he goes on to say, all the world's religions can unite in something he calls deep ecumenism, which is basically like this, this type of, they call it prayer. But it's not. They call it contemplative prayer. You ever heard of that? Centering prayer or contemplative prayer. 
And there's, it's, it's nothing but Easter meditation wrapped up with Christian slogans. That's all it is. It's not of the Lord. It's nowhere to be found in Scripture. Right. Is meditation found in the Bible? Yes. Look up the Word and see what it means. Meditation is not getting my mind blank and saying one word over and over until I'm numb or in some trance. Meditation is thinking on the deep things of God. It literally means to think again. It literally means the example given in the, in the concordance is a cow chews its, I mean, swallows its food, has two stomachs, right? And a cow regurgitates it and chews on it again and swallows it again. That's the picture that's given. Nobody wanted to hear that, did they? Especially before lunch. Um, but that's the picture of biblical meditation. It means you, you recall it to mind and think about it. Like after you go home tonight, you're going to think about maybe these scriptures and so forth. You can recall it to mind. That's biblical meditation. That's, a, that's David sitting out under there when he's tending those sheep as a shepherd boy, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, O God? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? That's, med- that's biblical meditation, where Jesus Christ is the object. And so uh, we see this in his, his mentor. Peck's mentor is Matthew Fox. And I don't have time to get into Matthew Fox. Anybody know who he is? He's known as the father of the New Age. Okay, you know, got the L. Ron Hubbard and Don X and all. Matthew Fox is the father of the New Age, the age of Aquarius kind of stuff. And, and uh, he, ha- he advocates, Fox advocates a shift away from the historical Jesus. The historical Jesus. Do you know what that means? It means the biblical Jesus. It means the God of the Scriptures. His, his advocacy. Isn't that what we just read in Deuteronomy? They seek to lead you away. But he's not saying I'm an atheist. and He's saying that we, I want you to be one with God. And this is Christ's message to show you your own divinity and things like that. And so, uh, a couple of quotes more from, from Scott Peck. It says, Christianity's greatest sin. How about this? It's amazing that the Lord allows these people to continue as long as He does. Okay, but Christianity's greatest sin, according to Peck, is to think that other religions are not saved. He goes on to say, uh, he himself presents the question to his audience, is Scott Peck a New Ager? This is his own words, yes. And he's proud to be listed in this Aquarian conspiracy thing. Uh, I want to give you one more real quick. I don't want to take all my time on this, but this is part of the, the message, okay? Just understand, I don't do this all the time. But there's another... Uh, man who's growing in popularity in the Christian circles, an author and a speaker. And his name's Henry Nguyen. Okay? And he is a uh, among... This this book, again, was written about 18 years ago. And at that time, among Protestant church leaders, 3,400 were surveyed. And he ranked this man, Henry Nguyen, who was a, a Catholic uh, cleric. He, he uh, ranked number two only behind Billy Graham and their influence, okay? And let me just give you a few quotes from him real quick. He said, this is Henry Nguyen, the door of God's house, he talks about all humans can walk through the door whether they know about Jesus or not. All people can walk, all human beings can walk through the door of God's house. What does Jesus say? I am the door. Again, where do I get that from? How am I so dogmatic and so narrow-minded? Because he's given me the Bible. And I can go to John chapter 10 where Jesus said, I am the door. I am. By me, if any man come, enters in, he shall be saved. All that try to come up another way are a thief and a robber. But by me, if a man comes in, he'll come in and out and find pasture and be safe and saved. And, and so we understand that. So what am I going to believe? I'm going to believe this man. Uh, 
whether it's Peck or Newen or countless others, because they say it and because they have a degree from Fuller Theological Seminary or something like that, and because they have a big audience and they have bestseller books in the Christian bookstores, or am I going to believe what the Bible says? Amen. We have to stick with the truth. I'm thankful. Thank God for the truth and the simplicity that it is. These little kids can stay in the truth. You don't have to be a theologian. You have to know Christ. And open His Word and say, God, speak to me through it. Give me understanding. You have to be honest and sit before the Lord and seek Him and talk to Him and trust Him. And He'll speak to us. Amen? Amen. He goes on to say, he also wrote this. Uh, he was impressed by the wonderful openness to the gifts of Buddhism, Hinduism, and the Muslim religion. And their great wisdom for the spiritual life of the Christian. <laughs> in other words, there's a lot of wonderful things in these other religions. Hinduism, Buddhism, and Islam that the Christians can learn from and impart that wisdom. He's the only wise God, the Bible says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally, and it shall be given him, and on and on. Um, He goes on to say, uh, he said prayer, speaking about prayer, and I'm about to be through with these quotes. It is the heart of God that we come to the full realization of the unity of all that is. Now, he's not talking about the unity of, of, of all Christians, for example. He's talking about the unity of all that there is. That's total pantheism, that all is one. You would find that in Hinduism. You know, God's in the flower, He's in the leaf, and He's in the caterpillar, and He's in you, and He's in me. And no more in the caterpillar than in the bumblebee, or the you, or me, or the cow. Okay? And so, uh, these things... My point for reading that, y'all, is I don't have to put a commentary and try to make them look bad or silly or false. I just read their own quotes. Then you take the quotes of these men, and you put it compared to, thus saith the Lord, the Bible that we have. And how does it stack up? That's all you really need to know. And all I need to know. God is able to keep us and to, and to keep us where we need to be. The, there are other Jesuses, y'all. The Mormon Jesus is not the Jesus of Christianity. The Mormon Jesus, according to, to Mormonism, was uh, an offspring of the Father. Physical offspring of the Father. Okay? And he was half-brothers with Lucifer. <coughs> And they sit together in heaven, you know, and Lucifer chose this past, kind of like the Star Wars, the dark side, and Jesus chose the, the whatever, the light. That's not the same Jesus of the Bible, okay? Islam has a different Jesus. I'm just telling you, they, they, they don't believe that He's God's son, because they don't believe Allah has any sons or daughters. It's blasphemy to think so. So don't think you can just buddy up to a Muslim and, well, they believe in Jesus too. It's blasphemy for in Islam for them to think that Allah had any sons or daughters. Alright? So, uh, and that He would never send His Son to die on a cross. He would never do that. He's not the Savior of the world and so forth. Same for uh, uh, Jehovah's Witness that Jesus on the cross was actually the, uh, uh, Michael the Archangel who took on the form of a man at that time and then afterwards went back to being Mark, Michael the Archangel. The, there are other Jesuses is my point. God can, can lead us in the truth. He keeps us by His Holy Spirit. But what's amazing to me is that these two men are accepted in Christian circles. 
They're not only accepted, they're praised and promoted. And a lot, 3,400 Protestants, they polled them and said, Billy Graham and then Henry Newman is our greatest influence. Y'all, we just read the quotes from him. Unchristian, unbiblical. I don't know the man. I'm not here to, to tear him down. I'm giving you his own words and saying, how does that stack up against the Bible? And it doesn't stack up. I want to close with this, y'all. I'm, just, I'm sorry, y'all. It's going much longer than I thought. Um, a couple of scriptures right here. I just want to read them in closing. That God has given us His... He's given us His Word. And prophecies are important to the Lord. You say, I'm not into all that prophetic stuff. Well, the Bible. Okay? About 30% of the Bible is prophecy. And about... About roughly two-thirds of those prophecies have been fulfilled already. It's important to God because it is a proof or an evidence to the Lord that He is the Lord. And can I just read, y'all just follow with me. We're going to read some scriptures all from Isaiah. Some passages really quick. Turn to Isaiah 42. Real quickly, 8 and 9. I am the Lord. That is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Verse 23, Who among you will give ear to this? Who will hearken and hear for the time to come? So he's speaking about prophecy. Chapter 43, 9-12. Let all the nations be gathered together, and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their uh, witnesses that they may be justified or let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God, for neither shall there be after me. I even I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Wherefore, you are my witness, saith the Lord, that I am God. Verse, chapter 45, verses 20 and 21. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations, and that they have no knowledge. They have set up a wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye and bring them near, yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient times? Who hath told it from the time? Have not I the Lord, and there is no God else beside me? A just God, the Savior, there is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved. Okay, one more. Chapter 46, 8 and 10. This to me is my favorite one. 46, 8 through 10. Remember this and show yourselves men. Bring it again to mind, O you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am the Lord. I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and besides, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Now he's saying, we don't have time to read all these chapters, but he's saying Israel and to us as well. I'm telling you things before they happen. And already the things that have happened are things that I declared a long time ago, from ancient times. And he says, I want you to watch. You bring your idols forth that you worship or these false gods or the divinity in yourself or whatever it may be. And you see if you can do this. Declaring the end from the beginning. I'm saying it now. 
before it happens, that when it comes to pass, you'll know that I'm God. It's important to God. We can't put too much emphasis on it's important to the Lord. Jesus Christ was prophesied about. You know, there's not one single prophecy in, in the book of the Hindus or the or Islam and so forth, and there's certainly no fulfilled prophecies in these books. They're not prophetic books, but yet God has given prophecy to set him apart and say, I've called it, and now watch over to make sure it comes to pass. He wants us to know that. You know, I feel like I rushed this at the end, but y'all stand with me. And I just want us to know there's such a uh, there's such a peace and a joy to actually know that we're in the truth and that God can keep us in the truth. And it doesn't take some theologian or or uh, you know spiritual giant. It takes somebody that knows the Lord and the simplicity of childlike faith will keep their eyes on the Lord and in His Word. He's able to keep us in His truth. And He wants to keep us in His truth. There was a prophecy, while well, they're getting set up here, there's a prophecy in the Bible where God spoke about a man by name named Cyrus. Y'all ever heard that before? Cyrus. Okay? He says Cyrus is going to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and the temple. He's going to give the decree to do it. Well, at the time that prophecy was given, Jerusalem was there, the temple was there. What do you mean rebuilt? It hadn't even been destroyed yet. About 150 years later, well, the, the, the temple, uh, the, the Babylonians come in, they take over everything. The temple's destroyed about 114 years later. And then Cyrus is born and comes, and he's the king of the Persians. And he gives the order to go back and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, roughly 150 to 160 years before it happened. By name, my, who could do that? Y'all tell me, who's going to win the Super Bowl next year? You know, he's talking about 160 years from now, the temple's going to be destroyed because it's still standing now. The city's going to be destroyed. And my king, my man by name, Cyrus, is going to be my king and do all my pleasure. And he's going to give the decree to rebuild the temple that's still standing right now in the city. And guess what happened? It was fulfilled in Second Chronicles chapter 36. Read it. To the, to the T, it happened. It's just amazing. I'm saying that so we'll worship God, so we'll not have any doubts. Our God is God. Okay? And I have to find my deeper self or my inner self or find the deity within me. I need to find Jesus, the Lord and Savior. I need to walk with Him and hold His hand and let Him hold my hand and let Him hold me in His hands and bring me where I need to go and listen to the voice of my Good Shepherd. Y'all stand. And Father, we just come before You. In Jesus' name, God, we thank You, Lord. Lord, ours is not to take great pleasure in mocking false prophets or someone that, uh, like that, Father, another religion. Ours is, God, to be thankful that we're in the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. And You proved Yourself to be God. You proved it through that prophet Jesus that You sent. You proved it through Your prophecies that You've given and You brought them to pass. You proved it through Cyrus fulfilling Your will. A Persian man all those years ago. You fulfilled it, God. And Lord, You can keep us and preserve us. We're not to walk through this life afraid. We're also not to walk through this life ignorant and foolish. We're to be wise and understanding what the will of the Lord is and understanding the times in which we live and appropriate and use the Word of God as our defense, God, that You've graciously given us and use Your Holy Spirit, allow Your Spirit to give us that discernment, God. Not, 
not to use the Holy Spirit, but to allow your spirit to give us that discernment. Father, I pray for each young person, every adult, everyone in this room, God, Lord, that we would cling tightly to you, Lord. You would keep us in the truth and lead us and guide us and use us to help others, God. And Lord, we pray for Henry Newham. We pray for Scott Peck. I don't believe they've died. I'm not sure uh, Newham might have, Lord, but Peck is still alive. Lord, save him. Open his eyes. Show him the truth, Father. Bring people out of false into the truth, God. You're not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. And use us as salt and light, God. In the mighty name of Jesus. Just pray and thank the Lord for a little moment this morning before you leave and worship the Lord this morning. I know I quoted it earlier, but the Bible says that in the Lord there's not this maybe and, and yes and no. There's not that confusion or evolving to some spiritual truth. It's just thus saith the Lord. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yea and in Him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. He just speaks it and declares truth. And it is truth. And He fulfills truth. And He, he is the truth. And, and we're not involving and shifting and moving from Eastern mysticism to that. We just walk with the Lord. An alcoholic on the street can come and in five seconds be born again and give their life to Christ and be saved forever, eternally changed. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. And he'll spend the rest of his life coming to know the Lord more, just like we are. And I'm thankful for that. Just take a minute. He's going to sing, and we're going to worship the Lord. Thank you.